town of Bethlehem Looks like another silent night Above your deep and dreamless sleep A giant star lights up the sky Shines an everlasting light For the king has left his throne And is sleeping in a manger tonight Tonight Oh Bethlehem, what you have missed while you were sleeping Where God became a man Stepped into your world today Oh Bethlehem You will go down in history As a city with no room for its key While you were sleeping While you were sleeping town of Jerusalem looks like another side of night the father gave his only son the way the truth the life had come but there was no room for him in the world he came to say Jerusalem what you have missed while you were sleeping the Savior of the world is dying on your cross today. Jerusalem, you will go down in history as a city with no room for its key. While you were sleeping, while you were sleeping, United States of America looks like another silent night. As we're sung to sleep by philosophies that save the trees and kill the children. And while we're lying in the dark, there's a shout. The eastern sky For the bridegroom has returned And has carried his bride away In the night In the night America What will we miss While we are sleeping Would Jesus come again And leave us slumbering Well, good morning, church. How 
everyone today. Good, good morning. <laughs> We're glad to see you all here this morning. Have you been enjoying the weekend? A little bit cooler weather yesterday. I, for one, was happy with that. Anybody else? Yes? Amen. I'm with you. Oh, so good. Well, let's begin our time of worship together. Would you stand with me? And let's just ask the Holy Spirit to come in and to be with us this morning even more than he is now. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Father, I just pray that you feel welcome here this morning, that your Holy Spirit comes into this place, that you walk up and down the aisles, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will sit with each person here this morning. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I thank you, Father, for all of the things that you've done for us this week. And anybody that's coming in a little bit later this morning, get them here safe, Father. I pray that your spirit feels free here this morning and welcome and that you can move in this place. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's go ahead and begin our time worshiping him. Tell me if he could be 
Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. Hey everybody, good morning. I should have went to rehearsal. You can have a seat. I, 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 uh, I'm new, so you have to forgive me that, that I'm not completely on top of it, but um, I want to say good morning and welcome to church. And we're just delighted that you're here. And I've been given the task of um, letting you know all the announcements. And so are you ready? Here we go. First announcement. Next weekend is... Um, uh, the installation of your new pastor and uh, wife, and, 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 you know, that's me. And so um, I would love it if you'd come. And what, what we're going to do is, uh, I don't know, I know you've done them before, but lots of people have asked, well, what's, a, what's an installation? Well, it, it's, it's just really the Church of the Nazarene's way of, of um, putting the final touches on the call of a pastor. And so next Sunday will be like most every other Sundays, but I, I believe that our district superintendent will be with us, and if not, um, his sidekick, Dr. Compton, will be here. And we'll just have a special time of prayer, and then I think they're going to preach, and uh, it'll just be a great time. But, but in addition to that is the announcement, which is there's going to be food afterward. Okay, see, I know where you're going. I, I, know, I know how this works. So, um, so, but I should say this. That we're going to have food provided that you bring it. It's, it's a potluck. And so um, I don't know all the, all the, like, A through M, or I don't know what those are. I mean, I know what those are, but I don't know what food is attached to them. So I do have a mastery of the English language a little bit, but I don't know what's attached to them with the food. So um, I'm not sure where we can get that information. Can, do you know? It's in, the, it's, in the, it's in the handout that you got when you came in. All right, so that is the announcement. The, the second announcement would be there's a, there's a card in front of you, um, I think, that, that has a connection uh, piece to it or a prayer piece to it. If, if you have prayer requests, um, it's an honor for us as pastoral staff to pray for you. And so those are completely anonymous. We don't share those with anybody else, but we do take them to the Lord in prayer during the week. And, and so if you have a prayer request that you'd like to keep on the quiet, um, make sure it gets in the, in the offering box in the back. Um, after we take the offering this morning, and you know that those aren't passed around, that's anonymous, and we'll pray for you. But if if you're if you're new this morning, or if you've just been here a few times, and we don't have your contact information, we'd love to have it. Not for any other reason than just to have it in our database. If there's a special event that we could invite you to, or something that's going on, if you'll give us that information, we promise not to sell to anybody else, and so uh, that will help us with that. But um, can I pray real quick before we go? And we're going to take an offering too. Is is this the time we're supposed to take an offering? Okay, give me, give me one second. Let me read the schedule here that, uh, that I'm supposed to memorize. Oh, God, it is. It's right there in black and white. Um, so, so we're going to dismiss the kids. Um, is there somebody that's going to take the kids with? There they are right back there. Let's hear it for the kid leaders. And uh, you guys can go on back. If the ushers would prepare to make their way to the front, uh, we're going to take an offering. And I would just want to share with you um, that we are so grateful that you have um, continued your support of um, this church and God's church um, throughout the, the years and months and weeks. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, the reality of um, when you give is that ministry happens. And we are an international church. The Church of Nazarene is in 166 world areas. Some 
we're not even allowed to publish because those men and women who are on the front bleeding edges of ministry, they're in places that if the local governments knew they were there, that would be a problem. And your giving helps to, to make that happen around the world. It also helps to support um, our district effort. There are 60-some churches, I believe, maybe 70-some churches around the state of Colorado and the Church of the Nazarene, and more in the pipeline to, to, to plant. Your giving supports that. Your giving supports the ministry of this church. All those kids that you just saw walk up and walk out of here, they get to hear about Jesus every weekend because of your giving. So thank you for remaining faithful to the cause of Christ, the mission of the church around the world. Thank you for partnering with us. You can give a multiple of different ways. You can give online, you can give via text, you can give as the ushers pass the plate this morning. But no matter what happens, can I just ask you, if you've never jumped into the pool of, of giving, try it. See how God can bless you when you approach him with empty hands and not clenched fists in your pockets. Can I pray for you this morning? God in heaven, thank you for these moments that we get to share with one another and with you. As we have gathered today to worship you, to fellowship with like-minded believers, to find a friend, to hear and experience the, the, the washing of your word, to celebrate the goodness of life as a Christian, and to give. As we've gathered to do those things, I pray, oh God, that you would bless us, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. That as we give generously, that you would take that and do with it only what you can do, and multiply that to advance your kingdom, not just here in Woodland Park, Teller County, but across the state of Colorado, across our great country, and across the world with the message of your son. And it's a name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. And when the worship team got here this morning, we always have a little time of devotional, and then we, we pray over you guys before you get here. We want to make sure that you are prayed up before you even walk in these doors and that God's already moving and you're sipping your coffee at home. So we had a really sweet time this morning. And one of the things that we talked about is what we're expecting from God this morning. A.W. Tozer said the person that doesn't expect to hear God speak won't hear him. The person that won't expect God to speak won't hear him. I want to hear him this morning, so I'm expecting him to speak to me. I just kind of wanted to put that out there for you. And what are you expecting this morning? Are you expecting his presence? Are you expecting him to teach you something, to answer something? Or just sit in his presence and be with him this morning? So something to think about as we worship. But would you stand with me? And we'll continue our time with Jesus this morning.
Lord, for being here with us this morning. Thank you for moving, Lord. Thank you for what you've done this week. Lord, I'm grateful for your presence. I pray, Jesus, as we continue our time here together as brothers and sisters in you, that we will build each other up, Jesus, in your name, that we will, we will love on one another, that we will soak in your word this morning that Pastor Dale is bringing to us. Lord, I pray that you will anoint him with a new anointing as he steps on the steps to come up here. I pray, Jesus, that you will speak through him boldly and that our hearts and our minds will be open to what you want to tell us, what you want to teach us, how you want to move us, Jesus. And it may be uncomfortable, 
that, Lord, you work all things for good according to your purposes. So move our purposes out of the way. I pray, Jesus, that instead we would grab onto what it is that you are handing to us. Help us to step out in obedience right away, Lord. And I pray that we'll keep our eyes and our hearts and our minds fixed on you this morning, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Father. We love you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for what you're doing. We praise your holy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. You can have a seat. And no way I was going to miss that cue the second time, Lori. So, well, how's everybody? Pretty good? I only get to see you once a week, so I have to check in. How's everybody doing okay? Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, several years ago now, uh, Michelle and I and the kids, when they were little, uh, we had gone on a vacation to uh, visit uh, Michelle's mom and dad, my mother-in-law, best in-laws in the world. And um, they'll appreciate that. I think they may be watching online. And um, so we, we, had, we had had a wonderful time with, with the kids and, you know, the five of us. And we had to go back, right? It's, that's just the, the way vacation is. You've got to go back. And so we packed up our gear and we headed down the highway, which was uh, 64 west back toward home, which was in Denver at the time. And uh, all of a sudden, somebody pulls up beside me and rolls down the window and starts yelling at me. You know, and I'm, I'm just enjoying myself. I had a great vacation, and I've got my family with me, and this guy in my peripheral vision is yelling at me. And I'm like, he, he probably doesn't like the color of my car, you know, or may, I don't know, maybe I'm going too fast, which is, you know, that's possible. Or maybe I'm going too slow, which is never possible. But... And nonetheless, I'm, I'm driving and he's yelling. Finally, I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to engage. And so I turn and I, I roll down my window and he's yelling that my tire is flat. So he was trying to help me out. And I didn't feel it. We, we were in an Explorer and, and I couldn't feel it. And so I had to get over off to the side of the road. And I, I waved at him, thank you, and tried to find a, a place to, 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 that was safe. And if you've ever had a flat tire, you kind of know the drill. You've got to get out and, and all the stuff that's in your car has to come out of the car. And I'm, I'm not happy at this moment. You know, I'm, I've got a schedule to keep. You know, guys, how you want to keep a schedule, you want to make great time. And so I was wanting to make great time. And this is just a, a kind of a kink in the, whole, in the whole thing. And so I'm pulling stuff out of the car. I open up the hatch and there's the, 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 the mechanism for the spare tire, the jack. And I'm wrestling with all that. And... There's no tire in there, though. Well, they had mounted it on the bottom. I looked on. I'm like, oh, it's underneath there. So I had to crank it down to get to the bottom. And finally, I, you know, I, I got the tire put on the car and the lug nuts tightened and everything put back in the car. And I'm, I'm headed back down the road. And I was just not happy about that incident. A lot of reasons why I wasn't happy. But, but the, 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 the reality was changing a flat tire is never fun. Can I get a witness? I didn't think I was the only one. See, changing a tire is never fun, but the automobile manufacturer should not make it hard to change a flat tire. I, was, I didn't curse, but I was not happy that the Ford mechanic people had made it a little challenging for me to get the tire, the jack out and the tire off. It was, 
It was not a pleasant experience for me. I mean, you're already stressing out because you know that you're going to, it's 200 bucks a tire, minimum. So you're already out 200 bucks, minimum. You're, you're upset about that. Um, the, the tire, you know, probably didn't go flat at, when you're at home with a bag of chips and, and an iced tea. Watch. You know, it, it's, it's at an inopportune time. Stress. Chances are you're probably late for an appointment or a game. You've got to be somewhere. Something's going on that you need to be at and you're late and you're out the money. And all these things are, are working against you, not the least of which would be cars flying down the highway within inches of you trying to get this tire put on. And I just was a little upset that this tire manufacturer had made it doubly difficult in my mind for me to change my, my flat tire. I was not happy with them. They had made my life harder. And I, I, I know a lot of people sometimes who feel the very same way about their spirituality about God. I know people that, 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 that believe that God has made it difficult for them to follow Him. That somehow He's made it more harder than it should be to have a relationship with Him. And they've somehow convinced themselves that, that God's design for knowing Him, for becoming a follower of Jesus, and for remaining a follower of Jesus is so hard that they've even determined that that, that, that they're either not going to indulge, they're not going to engage, they're not going to believe in this Jesus, or they maybe have crossed over the line of faith and they've, they've just struggled their whole life in maintaining this relationship with Christ. I have a question. It's hypothetical, but here's a question. Have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought to yourself why, if God is so loving, why it seems so hard to be Christian? And if that's you, I, I just want you to know that, that I kind of, I understand. I have felt that way too. I, I grew up in a church. I understand the difficulty of navigating through the puzzle of following Jesus. Except that it's not really a puzzle. It's not really as hard as we think it is. We just think it's hard. Probably because there's been an awful lot of people, an awful lot of churches, an awful lot of denominations, really, that have made it hard to follow Christ. And so this morning, I, I want to introduce you to somebody. Many of you already know who I'm going to be talking about just by me describing him to you. But, but there's, a, there's a person who, who emerged onto the scene several thousand years ago. He, he busted onto the scene bringing the message of what being a God follower is really, really all about. His story is mentioned in all four of the Gospels, all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. His story is is there. He, he was prophesied about some 450 years before he ever came onto the scene. And, and to show you just how big God can be and just how sometimes his sense of humor, you know, just astounds me, th this, this person actually is a relative of Jesus. Anybody know who I'm talking about yet? Yeah, I, I heard a whisper. His name's John. We, we know him as John the Baptist. He was a relative of Jesus, and he came preaching before Jesus, just before Jesus started his ministry. And in, in, in the book of Matthew, in the story that Matthew tells about John, this is how it began. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness, and he began to preach. 
uh, we were just talking a few minutes ago about how, how maybe sometimes there are a lot of people who think that following God is hard. And, and maybe, maybe you think following God is, is, is hard. And if that's you, you would have had a really tough time in the first century following God. First of all, it was, it was really exclusive. Um, in order to follow Yahweh, you had to be a Jew, and, and the Jews had the corner on the market. If you were not born into it, you had to get circumcised into it if you were a guy. If you were a lady, you had to marry into it. If you wanted to follow Yahweh and become a Jew, you, you had, to, had to step through some things. Not only that, but, but the, the Israelite people, God's chosen, had created 613 laws to follow. You think our Ten Commandments are tough? Or if you think the, the two you know, commandments that Jesus built denounce you, try following 613. And that's not, even, that's not even if you add in the Talmud, the, the oral traditions. There's just a lot of rules that you had to follow in the first century. There were at least four different ways or four different kinds of sacrifice, four different ways of offering penitence to get atonement for your sin, at least four. Following God in, in those days were a little challenging. And so John enters the picture with a brand new, different, radical, life-changing message about what it was going to mean to follow after God. And he began preaching. And here was his message. Repent. Turn to God. Because the kingdom of heaven is close. John's message was repent. Turn to God. Make your life whole. Because the kingdom of heaven is just around the corner. And the crowd there gathered that day that John was preaching gave a similar reaction to the one that you're giving me right now. Did, did he just say repent? I mean, I repent for what? I'm a good person. I've followed, well, 600 and, you know, like three of the 613. I'm a pretty good guy. I, I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm a good person. I do my sacrifices when I'm told to do it. I go to the synagogue, repent. Repent for, for what? I'm a good person. I go to church. Pretty much mo most of the time. I don't yell at people when, when you know, when they don't do something to me first. I mean, you know, eye for an eye. I'm a good person. Why would I need to repent and turn to God? I'm not sure that I understand this message from this John. And for that group there, and really for a lot of people today, when the word repentance comes into the conversation, most of the time what comes to mind are things like, well, I have to say I'm sorry. Or, or I, have to, I have to confess all the things that I've done wrong. Or I have to somehow get into behavior modification. You start talking about repentance. When the, when the preacher starts talking about repentance, most of the time, most people start thinking about, well, I've got to say I'm sorry for something. I've got to confess something. Oh, I've got to modify my behavior. I've got to do something. And all those could be considered part of the definition of what repentance is, but certainly not the entire definition. And defining repentance solely as doing something that makes up for all the bad that I've done is really only a partial definition of what repentance means. John brought a new way of looking at God 
And the audience that John was preaching to were already familiar with what needed to be done to satisfy the law's requirements. They knew what they had to do in order to satisfy what the law said they needed for atonement, for payment of sin. They knew what they needed to do. Those who were listening to John didn't need to be told to stop doing bad things. You don't need John or me or anyone to tell you to stop sinning. You already know that you should stop sinning. Many of you have been battling a guilty conscience for years. You don't need somebody else telling you, stop doing that. The reality is, is that we probably wouldn't have ever heard of John the Baptist. He would have been a nameless, faceless street preacher just like all the other street preachers of that time. We would have never heard of John the Baptist if repentance just meant stop sinning. The word that John uses there um, in, in, in the Greek is metanoeo, repent. It, it really means to think differently. It, it, it means to change your mind. It actually means to turn a different way. Metanoeo. John's message of repentance, which is Jesus' message of repentance, was not to be understood solely as a negative message. Stop doing all the bad things you're doing. It was that. But there's more. It wasn't just about stop sinning. It also meant to be understood in a, in a positive way. That you should turn toward God. Repentance means to turn. Certainly turning away from sin, but equally certain that your heart is rightly directed at God. A turning of who you are. See, we need a, a bigger definition. Because sin and the effects of sin are so much bigger than we thought they were. And all through the Bible, there are three primary ways that, that the authors of the Bible, through the, the direction of the Holy Spirit, there are three primary ways that, that are defining what, what sin is. There are three words that, that are used most of the time. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. Those words combined together, used throughout the Bible, give us a deeply profound diagnosis of our human condition. Our human nature, sin and iniquity and transgression. The, the first word, sin, um, is actually used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In, in, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is kata. I don't speak it fluently. I just have memorized it for this morning's purposes so that you could be impressed with my knowledge of Hebrew. Kata. The, the, the Greek form in the New Testament is hamartia. Sin, basically defined, is to fail or miss the goal. To, to sin means that you miss the mark or you fail to fulfill a goal. Do, do you know what the goal is? It may surprise you. In order to find what the goal is, we need to go all the way back to the very first page of the Bible. And in Genesis 1, verse 27 specifically, God is, is telling us that every human is an image of God. Every human being is an image of God. Sacred. One who ultimately represents the Creator. Therefore is worthy of respect of, of the rest of us. Every human. 
stamped with the image of God. Using this lens, when we look at sin at the root of it, it's a failure to love God and others by not treating them with the honor they deserve. It's pretty powerful. Exodus. Those of you who have been in church a long time, you've probably heard of something called the Ten Commandments. And in those Ten Commandments, we we see that half of the ten showed how to fail at loving God. You, you, You can do all the math. Step through them, maybe if you memorize them. Half of them tells us how we can fail at loving God. The other half names ways that you can fail at loving people. And the fact that they came packaged together shows that failing to honor God is deeply connected to failing to honor people. Which is why sinning, uh, sinning against people is sinning against God. You don't have to look too far into the book of Genesis when you hear the story of a man by the name of Joseph. Joseph was treated very poorly by his brothers thrown into a pit, left for dead, brought back out of the pit, and then sold into slavery. Who's got brothers like that? Okay. So so Joseph is on his way. He's been sold into Egypt, into slavery, and he ends up being purchased by the head of the guard of Pharaoh. This is basically the head of the Secret Service. His name was Potiphar. And the Bible tells us that that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of everything in his household. Except for one thing. He, He couldn't touch the one thing that was sacred above everything else. If you're married, you probably can resonate with this. Don't touch my wife. You can run the breakfast schedule. If you want to paint the house a different color, that's fine. You know, whatever. Knock yourself out. But, hey, it's my wife, man. And so one day, Potiphar's wife, she doesn't have a name in the story, but Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph and says, Hey, man, how about we, how about we sleep together? No one will know. It's just me here, and it's just you here. What do you think? What do you, what do you think? What do you say? Joseph said, I don't think that's a very good idea. And he went about his business. And, and, and the story really kind of gives us, it alludes to the fact that she just kept after him and kept after him and kept after him until one day he said, look, lady, this is a bad idea. And she said, well, but no one will know. And this is his response to, to her, 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 her offer. He said, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. He's not left anything for me access for anything for me of of anything. I I have access to it all. He's held nothing back from me except for you, which is his wife, which is sacred. How could I do such a wicked thing? You know what he said next? He said it would be a great sin against God. Because Joseph knew that failing to honor a human made in God's image is a failure to honor God. They're tied together. Together. And we do this all the time. <laughs> oh, we probably don't sleep with one another's wives, but we, we fail to honor other humans. And what's worse is that we've become really good at condoning it. We've become really good at, at rationalizing our own bad behavior against others who are made in the image of God. And that's sin. 
So sin is more than just doing bad things. Sin really describes our ability to deceive ourselves into redefining our bad decisions as good ones. And you're really good at it. And so am I. That's just one of the words that we use to define sin. The next one would be transgression. Transgression um, is breaking trust with others. In the Hebrew, it's pasha. In the Greek, it's paraptoma. It means we, we, the words that we use are wickedness or guilt or trespass. And these words refer to ways that people violate the trust of others. Like when two countries sign a peace treaty. And, and they break that treaty. They break that, they break that agreement. That would be breaking trust. Pasha. Maybe you've been the victim of someone breaking a commitment to you. A transgression against you. Pasha. It, it involves one person or group violating the relationship of trust with another. Trust is a holy thing. It's a very commonly used word in the Bible. Because... The Bible is one long story about a broken relationship between God and His people. In the Old Testament, it's with God and, and the Israelites. In the rest of the Bible, it's with God and, and the rest of us. See, Adam and Eve broke trust with God way back in the garden. By seizing authority to discern good and evil on their own terms, they took it away from God and they placed it in their own hands and they created Peshaw between them and God. And now we carry that with us. And we continue to violate the universal trusts that, that exist between all humans who are made in the image of God. A sacred trust that we would hold with one another and with our other friends and neighbors and co-workers. There's a third word. Iniquity. We don't really use this word a whole lot. It's, it's kind of an Old Testament word. The Hebrew word avon, related to the Hebrew word ava, it means bent or made crooked. Something that's supposed to be level or even is like your conscience or your choices. Something that's supposed to be even is not. It's been bent out of shape. It's been, it's been made crooked. And avon means all kinds of, of bad behavior, all kinds of crooked behavior, lying and murder and, and adultery. But it's not just the bad behavior that Avon re relates to. It actually also described the corruption of Israel's leaders who ignored injustice being done to the poor among them. If you read through the Old Testament time and time again, even the, the, the leaders of Israel would abandon their own people. They would charge interest against loans and they were told not to do that. All kinds of injustice leaned against God's people of own. And so it encapsulates the entirety of moral distortion against humanity brought forward to this, to, to where you and I are here today. And it's not just the, the distorted behavior that, that, that we see, but the crooked consequences of that behavior. You don't have to look too far to see the crooked consequence of iniquity, the hurt the broken relationships, the cycles of retaliation. That's the, the avon, that's the iniquity that traps us in and causes us 
to continue to sin more and more sin it's such a such a big deal that it takes three ways to describe it in the bible no no wonder it's hard not to sin right most of the time not all the time but most of the time it's hard because we're not facing in the right direction spiritually we're trying to be a good person. We're trying to be a Christian. We're trying to live a holy life, a life of love for God and for others. We're, we're trying hard to be good, all while turned in the wrong direction, usually turned in towards ourselves. You ever tried to play basketball or shoot free throws? Backwards? You ever try to drive a car? In the rearview mirror, it's hard. It's never meant to be that way. But we do it all the time. We try and be spiritual when we're turned into ourselves and against looking at God. People tell me all the time, I, 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 just, I just can't seem to get away from fill in the blank, whatever bad behavior they, they identify. I just can't seem to get away from blank sin. To which my response has normally been, well, you could if you lived a life of repentance. You could get away from that if you lived a life of repentance, a life that's lived centered around turning toward and facing toward God. Always. Constantly. The first thing that you do. And in everything that you do. The behaviors that, that we have become addicted to Hold us. Porn. Talking about other people in an ugly way behind their back. Being critical of God's church. Hatred or unforgiveness in your heart. Don't, don't raise your hand if, if this is you. Taking stuff from the office, the, the school or the plant, the things that don't belong to you. All those things. I just can't get away from. We normally use repentance as a reaction. Whenever you feel guilty, when you do something you know that you shouldn't have done, oh Lord, I just need to repent about this. And John was saying, look, how about we turn that around? How about we use it proactively? How about instead of just as a reaction to what we're doing, how about we use it as a lifestyle of turning toward God first? John the Baptist was a weird dude. He was not much to look at. He lived all by himself. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But I have a feeling he probably lived by himself because nobody else wanted him around. He dressed funny. He ate funny, weird food. He was, a, he, was a, he was an isolated guy. And it didn't bother him at all to call people out when they were involved in sin. He just, it just kind of came out of him. All the time. It didn't matter who you were. He would call you out right to your face in front of everybody. John was a hardcore dude that way. He's not necessarily the kind of guy that I would point to and say, man, I, I, I want to be like him. He was rough. But as I studied the life of John and as I look at, at, at the, the results of his life, I'm not sure that we could find a better person to pattern our life after.
First of all, he, he, he wasn't so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good. Anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> so heavenly minded that, that you're no earthly good. That you're just so focused, you're just so, so worried about eternity that, that the here and the now, I, I'm too busy thinking about heaven to worry about the rest of you people. Didn't they know anybody like that? John was not like that. That was not his focus at all. John said that living this life of repentance isn't just an abstract fact of the mind. Not just something for some other time or some other place. It's for today. It's something that expresses itself in action. And during this one sermon that he was, that he was preaching in Matthew, this is what he said, Matthew 3. He said, prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and that you've turned to God. Proof. Only it's not just chatty chat, chat, chat. I, yes, 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 I do. I love Jesus. How about you? No, 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 no. Proof by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and that you've turned toward God. He goes, he goes on um, in, in Luke. Luke records this one. The crowds came to him and asked, John, what should we do with this message? And John replied, well, if you have two shirts, that's one too many. Why don't you give one to someone who needs it? If you have more food than you can stick in your face at one time, why don't you share it with those who are hungry? Why don't you prove the way that you live by your repentance? Even tax collectors, the ones who were corrupt and, and took money that didn't belong to them, they came to John to be baptized and they would ask him, Teacher, John, what should we do? And his response, well, uh, how about you just not take something that doesn't belong to you? Prove that you have a life of repentance by the way that you live. Don't take something that isn't yours. Even pagan Roman soldiers came to be baptized and asked, John, what do we, what do, we do with this message? And John's response, well, don't, don't take money from people that doesn't, isn't coming from them, that's not supposed to come from them. Don't extort people. Don't lie about people. Don't make false accusations. Be content with, what, with the income that, that you've been given, with your pay. Live by example. Your repentance. Not only did, did John, was he not heavenly minded, so heavenly minded that he was no earthly good, but he also knew that there was more than just not sinning. He knew more. There was more to this relationship with God, this relationship with Jesus, than just not sinning. He goes in, in Matthew, his sermon in Matthew Chapter 3, verse 11, he tells everybody, look, I'm, I'm baptizing you with water. That's why we, they call me John the Baptizer. I've got it on the back of my camel hair shirt. I baptize with water. Those who repent and those who come to God. But listen, there's somebody coming who's way better than me. And he's got an, uh, something that, that you, that's going to blow you away. I'm so not worthy to even be his slave, to even tie his shoes. He's coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, John knew what so many of us fail to remember, that there's more to this life than just not sinning. 
this idea of relationship with Jesus Christ is so filled with growth and movement and becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And John was just way ahead of the curve. He's saying, listen, I can baptize you with water. And we, we baptize at this church. I think we do. I've been here a month. We haven't yet, but I'm sure we will. We can baptize with water. But, but you, want the, you want the good stuff. There's a baptism of the Holy Spirit that will take you all the way to the next level. John understood that salvation and baptism were just first steps in the processes of knowing God. He knew that there was more than just not sinning. Lots of people get frustrated in their walk with Jesus because they make a spiritual commitment and and then the next day they wake up and they realize, oh man, I still, I still have flaws. Oh man, I still have these habits that I'm not really in love with. I still have these temptations and they, they still have hang-ups. And John's saying, listen, you want more, you need to chase after Jesus. The third thing that we know about John is that he was, he was a real guy. He was just a real guy. He was like you and me. He wasn't anything special. He just had been called upon by God to, to start the message of what God's kingdom was coming and what it was going to be like. But he was terribly real. He had the courage to ask some really hard questions. And remember, John was a cousin of Jesus. He probably should have known the answer to the question that he was about to ask. But he was so real, he didn't have any fear of asking the hard questions. In Matthew eleven two, John the Baptist was in prison by this time, and he had heard about all the things that, that Jesus the Messiah was doing, and so he sent his disciples to Jesus. I, I can't go. Would you guys mind going and asking, are you the Messiah? Are you who we've been looking for? Are you the one that the prophets have been telling us about? Are you the Messiah? Or should we keep looking for somebody else. Can you imagine how embarrassing that would be to have to walk up to Jesus and say, <laughs> I'm really sorry, but I have to ask, are you really who you say you are? I mean, wow. But that was John. And those who followed behind him, of course, Jesus told them, I am. And I want you to go back and tell John what you've heard and what you've seen, that the blind are, 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 are able to see and that the lame walk and those with leprosy are cured. The deaf are hearing, the dead raise their life. The good news is being preached to the poor. Yeah, tell John, I'm, I'm, I'm he. John was just real. He didn't have a problem asking hard questions, being confused sometimes. I don't want to talk to, to the guys for just a second. Not that you ladies can't listen in, but for the guys. I, I understand that sometimes you've been given a message about, about following Jesus that, that you have to be something that, that you're not. We're, we're told sometimes you have to turn in your man card, that you have to be, you know, a wimpy, ultra-sensitive, super-feely person. Spending a majority of your time, you know, asking for forgiveness, never questioning anything that God's done in your life or what God is doing in your life right now, that, that you just have to become, you know, a wimp. And I'm just telling you, you've been misinformed. Nothing could be further from the truth. It's bad information. Jesus knows you, and he loves you, 
And he wants you to be real. Even, even those who Jesus knew personally wondered if they had committed to the right king. It's okay. Jesus understands us, guys and ladies. He understands that we mess up and we struggle to find the right way. It's why he came to begin with. Brand new message. That God came to be with us, to show us the way. What I want you to know this morning is no matter where you are in the spiritual continuum, if you walked in this morning and you have been battling even believing that there is a God, all the way to, you know, I've been walking with Jesus for 100 years, right? There's a continuum here. And no matter where you are on this continuum, I want you to know that living a life of repentance means that you're giving your best effort to turn your heart toward God in all that you are and all that you do. Will you have challenges? Yes. Will you make mistakes? I, yeah, you will. Will will you feel like a failure sometimes? I promise. But my best advice for anybody listening, whether you're in this room or whether you're online, my best advice to you would be to listen to John. Get a grip on where you are and who you are and understand that this walk with Jesus is a long one. One step at a time. The creator of the universe shaping us one day at a time. Knowing that that being real is exactly how God created you to be. And above and beyond everything else that you've heard today, that Jesus really, really, really wants to make you better inside and outside. That's why he came. After, after I drove a few hours after that flat tire episode in, in, in the Ford Explorer, I had time to process through, and I, I had realized the reason why that the engineers of the Ford Motor Company decided to put the flat tire underneath and to secure all the jacks and all that stuff was to make it Make, make me have more room in my car. They actually were thinking of, of me, not trying to make it harder for me. God didn't make following Jesus difficult for us. He wants us to come to him for everything because he's the source of everything. And looking anywhere else is, is, is fool's gold. And a life of repentance is a life of turning to Christ. Not just turning away from bad behavior for the moment, but turning toward God in everything that you do, in everything that you are, consistently and constantly. And this morning, we're going to share the Lord's table together. We call it communion or Eucharist the Lord's Supper. It's a way of remembering the sacrifice of God's sin for you and for me. It's a holy moment where we remember what, maybe more importantly, why Jesus did what he did on the cross. We've talked about sin this morning and transgression and iniquity. We've talked about all those things. 
And so before we take the, the elements together, before we have communion together, it would, it would be um, disingenuous of me to not offer you an opportunity to clear any air that you have with, with God. And so as, as Cindy plays, I'm going to take a moment. I'm just going to pray for you, for me. Paul tells us in, in, in Corinthians, we need, to, we need to make sure that we're taking inventory of our life before we approach the Lord's table. It's that sacred. So if you've got unconfessed sin, if you've got transgressions that you've not dealt with, if you've got iniquity that is binding you down, it's an awesome opportunity to put all that to, to turn. You give that to God. Can we do that this morning? Would you bow your heads for a moment while I pray? God in heaven, thank you for today, this moment that we have to be together and to worship you. To think on the fact that you are holy and we are not so much. And that we need to do a, a, a much better job of turning to you in everything that we do, in all that we have, in our daily life, in all the coming and all the going that we do. May we just make it a habit, first and foremost, to turn to you. As temptations come, may we, may we run to you. As opportunities come, may we, may we turn to you. On our very best days, when we're celebrating and, oh man, life is awesome, may we turn to you. When we're having our very worst day and the, the, the walls are crushing in on us, may we turn to you. May we live this life of repentance. And as your spirit refines us and transforms us and makes us more and more and more like you, Hard. It's hard to realize that, that we still have places in our life that need to be transformed. The longer that I, that I follow you, the more I'm, I'm just made aware of how short I fall sometimes in your glory. Forgive me, God, for the places where I have missed the mark. Forgive me, God, in the places where I have broken trust with, with, with someone. Forgive me, God, for the places where I have, I have allowed Avon to take root. And I pray that you would forgive me. I want my heart to turn toward you in all things. And I pray, oh God, for those gathered in this room, that they would live a life of repentance, that they would turn, not just from bad behavior, but they would turn for their Father in heaven, for their daily bread. And if you have communion elements, go ahead and let's peel that top off to the delicious piece of bread thing that's in it. Put that in your hand and then Go ahead and peel the top back on the juice.
And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew records the moment that Jesus was with his disciples. And they're coming to the close of the, of the day. Jesus knew what was ahead of him. The betrayal. The arrest. The torture. God the Father turning his face away from Jesus the first time since creation had began. The whole thing. He was coming and Jesus knew. And as his friends were sitting around the table, those that he had been with for three years, had eaten countless dinners and laughed at countless jokes and had ministered to people and had begun the process of changing the world. As they were eating together, Jesus took some bread and he, he thanked God for it. He blessed it. And he broke it into pieces and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this. This is my body. It will be broken for you. Take and eat. And he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them likewise and said, each of you drink from it. This is my blood. This is going to confirm a new covenant between God and his people forever. It's poured out. My blood will pour out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Take and drink. Lord in heaven, we thank you for your sacrifice, for the payment that you made in our place. And this morning we sit symbolically at the table that reaches back 2,000 years and all the saints who've gone before us are sitting at the very same table as we are and we remember. We do not take it lightly. We are grateful for your sacrifice, the broken body, the spilled blood, that covers our sin and our transgressions and our iniquity. And we, we praise you, O oh God, and we ask that you would go with us as we go, that you would walk us hand in hand. For those of us who, who are really struggling, that you would carry us, that you would fill our lives with compassion for one another, grace for one another, love and mercy for one another. And as we love you with all that we have and all that we are, help us to love one another as we love ourselves. Be with those who couldn't be here with us this morning, stuck in home, at home, or in, in, a, in a facility somewhere and can't be with us. Those who are on the road, vacation, or other, other things going on, visit with them. Let them know that you love them and that they're missed at their home church. Be with those, oh God, who, who wouldn't be here today. They have, they have taken a stand. They've crossed their arms and, and they're just not, not going to believe. Pray that you would visit with them today. 
you'd whisper in their ear, gently nudge them back toward you. Put someone who loves you in their path that would love them toward the Savior. Help us, oh God, to be the kind of church that you died for. It's the name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things. Would you stand with me as I offer you a benediction? May God, the God of heaven, who washes our sin, who covers us and protects us, may that God bless you. May the Lord shine His face upon you. I was reminded of this yesterday. The weather went bad in the afternoon, and, and we were inside, and Michelle and I were just kind of hanging out on a Saturday, and it was raining. And then like in 15 minutes later, the sun just blasts through the clouds. I'm like, oh God, that's, that's how I want you to shine your face on me. May he shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May God make his face available to you. May he turn toward you so that you can turn toward him. And when that happens, may he give you what nothing else on this side of eternity can give you. You can't buy it. You can't manufacture it. It comes from the one who created it. Peace be with you. God bless you as you go. Have an awesome Sunday and an awesome week. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling Calling for you and for me See on the portals he's waiting and watching Watching for you and for me
truth Don't come crawling me with your lies Cause I've seen the lie and slip through his eye too